my main thesis about this rotten ruling class that we contend with is they just are so drunk on money and really short-term maximization of money that they can't think in the long term. They are, they're not like the ruling class in the mid-20th century, which had some discipline uh, and uh, some, some foresight about uh, creating a kind of structure that would uh, sustain their rule. It was not like they were humane and decent, but they had some level of discipline and, um, uh, and responsibility and thoughts about the future. This gang is just a bunch of looters. on everybody welcome to another edition of the situation room it's a podcast it's a live stream it's a twitch stream it's uh i said podcast what isn't it you know you can put it on jewelry and it will really scrub it clean uh just set it in uh the habituation room an old pair of earrings and you take it out and it's just brand new i mean that really what can this show not do I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini. So good to have you here. If you are listening as a podcast, make sure to give us five stars right now. Right now. Just just pause. Five stars. One, two, three, four, five. And, uh, you know, resume. There you go. Uh, if you're here on YouTube, make sure to like and share the stream right now. If you're on Twitch, sup. Thank you so much for uh, having me as part of your programming. Uh, we have such a good show today. Um Hey, remember how uh, everything we were told about the economy turned out to be wrong? And uh, turns out that uh, all the metrics that capitalists and neoliberals use to measure a healthy society are also wrong. Yeah. And then the pandemic just proved it all wrong. And it seemed like we had to support workers instead of the 1%. That is what we're going to talk about today with economist and journalist Doug Henwood, who is waiting in the wings going to be here. I'm excited to learn from him, to listen to him, to get his assessment about what's going on with Striketober, um, as well as Nato Green, comedian and labor organizer, is also here, and he knows a thing or two about the labor movement. So I want to know, is this the beginning of a, a new thing, a new wave? Is it How can we make sure that it is the beginning of a new labor movement and a new wave of activism? Uh, so tuck in Super excited to have you guys once again. And remember, this show is completely not brought to you by websites where you can like post job postings that rhyme with like MIP remoter. I could have done that better, but you know what I'm saying? This website, this, this, <laughs> this podcast is totally 100% grassroots. I don't have sponsors. I'm not part of any kind of network. I wish I was. I'm shopping around. I'm looking for my forever home, my soulmate. But right now, you guys are the soulmate of the Bituation Room. That's right. Through your tips, through your Patreon subscription. So you can tip us TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App, but mostly if you become a patron of this show at patreon.com slash situation room, my God, not only do you get access to things like 20% off merch, uh, access to our monthly AMAs, you also get weekly access to 15 additional minutes, a bonus story. We call it the bonus bish. So if you guys haven't become a patron yet, 
to hear all the stories we've done and talked about. That's on you. That's your loss. Five bucks a month, two bucks a month, 10 bucks a month gets you a shout out. And like I said, 20 bucks a month gets you access to those monthly AMAs, which I know I have to do once very, very soon. But please send me your questions. Uh, send them into bitiation at gmail.com or the Patreon website. Also, we have merch. I said we've got merch. It's super cute. We got the logo shirt. We got Frantifa shirts. We they, they come in gray and white. We've got tote bags. We've got stickers. We've got, oh, my God, it's just amazing. So I've been asking for photos of you all in your swag, and I haven't seen any. So here is a call out. If you post a photo of yourself with the hashtag Frantifa swag, on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, hashtag Frantifa Swag, it will automatically enter you to win a gift and a shout out. Okay, so by the end of November, you got a month. You got a month. All right, I want to see those photos. I want to see your Frantifa Swag, Frantifa Strong. Don't make me sell little bracelets like Lance Armstrong. I will do that. But yes, you will get uh, potentially get a gift. I'm going to make it a good gift. It's going to have a few things, but I'm going to like maybe some bubble bath, but it'll be good. Or if you don't like whatever, you know what I'm saying? It'll be good. And a special shout out. So do that. Tag me, tag friend, uh, hashtag Frantifa swag with you and your merch. Uh, and also I wanted to say, God damn it. I don't have the banner. <laughs> There's always something I forget to do, but I am so excited because I've just launched a new show on the TYT Twitch network. So that's twitch.tv slash TYT every Wednesday, one o'clock Pacific, four o'clock Eastern for two hours, right before TYT's main show that they do, obviously, every single day. This is Wednesdays. It's the Twituation Room. That's right. The Twituation Room. Yes. It's every relation to this show, the Bituation Room. And yes, it is a seven dimensional marketing ploy to get more people to join the Frantifa and come on over and listen to the Bituation Room. But we had so much fun last time. I talked about Squid Game. I talked a little bit more about Chappelle because everyone wants to talk about Chappelle. Um, and and I'm, I'm excited to do that, just super relaxed, off the cuff. Uh, so join me there every Wednesday, 1 o'clock, 4, 4 p.m. Eastern, uh, twitch.tv slash TYT. Uh, and with that, let's get into this week and what is grinding your gears, what's crawled up your your pants and died, uh, what are you bitching about? This has been a week of wheelings and dealings between senators. You got Kirsten Cinema, you got Joe Manchin. They're all haggling. One of them doesn't want to tax the wealthy anymore. The other one doesn't want any more social services for his very impoverished state. We're trying to fit a bunch of round pegs into square holes. You got Pramila Jayapal, leader of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, saying we're definitely going to get this done. You got Joe Biden going on national television being like, eh, Kirsten Sinema, she's, uh, she's smart as a devil. Like, Bro, don't say that. So the question is, what's going to happen with this Build Back Better Act, the social infrastructure plan, basically the hugely transformative plan that included Everything from free college tuition, universal pre-K, uh, transformative climate plans, uh, home care assistance, extended child tax credits, um, all kinds of things that would make it easier um, 
for families, working families in this country to get by, right? We know that unemployment benefits have ended, et cetera. And we're at a dead end, actually. And what's happening now, if you haven't been following, is that what was once a $6 trillion plan has now been re- was reduced then to $3 trillion and has now been reduced to about $1.9 trillion. The actual new spending in that is a lot less. And this is, again, over 10 years, right? This is, this is half an, a war in Afghanistan, okay? Which was, I believe, something like $3 trillion, Um, so think about that, right? So it's getting whittled and whittled down. Looks like free college, community college tuition is out. Uh, it looks like the child tax credit will only be extended for one year. It looks like one of the main pieces of the climate proposals, uh, which is called the clean energy payment program, which will help cut emissions by 50% by 2030, which is on track to be with, within the Paris climate agreement within this rapidly, um, decarbonizing plan that, that we need to enact if we have a chance of survival on this effing planet. It looks like that's going to be stripped. So it's a big question, right? What is left? Uh, universal pre-K seems like it's left. Maybe that'll be the only thing that'll be left. And I guess I'm just so tired. I think I'm bitching about the fact that I'm tired of getting mad at senators who are literally upholding an arcane minority rule, white supremacist, unrepresentative body of government in the so-called best democracy on earth. Like, I don't expect shit from them. I'm sorry. I'm not holding my breath for any of these fools. And I, I feel this week the limitations of electoral politics and electoralism. I feel the limitations of working our asses off to get Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff elected in Georgia only to have them be hamstrung by these MFers who want to cash in on their with their coal money, right? With Kirsten Cinema that wants to have big dollar fun- donor and fundraisers. That's what they do. That's what that's what senators do, man. Expecting them not to be corrupt is the weird part. And so I'm mad that like actually you know, for all the sort of ironic talk about oh, guillotine this, guillotine that, we love to talk about it. It's our like our one way leftists, our one way to feel like less sad is to be like, you know, make gallows humor essentially. But you're pushing people to the brink here. If we do not enact something like the Build Back Better Act in the way that it was proposed, you push people to the brink. What do you want? How much more do you want to squeeze working Americans? How much until you get to the point where it's like, oh, yeah, man, you're going to have a revolution on your hands. Like people will start rising up and they are going and they are. And I sure shit hope that we do. Um, because it's it is. Again, we can only wait at the wait for the crumbs to fall from the table for so long. We can only bat our eyes in the face of Joe Manchin for so long before we actually understand our entire political system is rife with money and corporate and corporate donors. It's completely unequal. It is completely rigged, not in our favor. We got to do way more. Change the entire thing. Screw the Senate. Change the Senate. Expand the courts. It's time. We got a lot more coming. Anyway, with that, let's bring in for the hour my good friend, union organizer, and comedian, Mr. Nato Green. What up, dude? 
Hey, cheers. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> I need a drink. Um, how you doing, NATO? What what are you what are you bitching about this fine Sunday evening? Well, Francesca, uh, I am bitching about my own temper. Um mm. Uh, this weekend, in a 24-hour period, I had two screaming confrontations with strangers in public. Um, oh, no. And what? I, and they were misbehaving. They were being mm. bad. Uh, but what really what I'm wrestling with is where is the line for me as a middle-aged, uh, cisgendered, heterosexual white man uh, between like being a male Karen busybody? And <laughs> like, like not being a silent bystander in the face of injustice, as our friend Ooh. Jackie Cation says, getting in the way of bad behavior. Uh, because, like, you know, so so just briefly, the two incidents were, as you know, uh, I think I've told you. I don't know if I've talked about it on the show. Maybe I did. I've been I've been doing some personal training. Uh, oh, oh yes, uh, you you like to mention that a lot. Yeah. So uh, Native Green's getting swole. Um, and I was with my personal trainer in the park and there were a lot of dogs in the park, not a dog park, but there were a lot of dogs. This is the second story that starts with, I was with my personal trainer. I was with my personal maybe, trainer. maybe the third or fourth okay. you've told on this podcast. So anyway, and what's okay. relevant for the purposes of the story is my personal trainer was the only black dude in the park and yeah. a giant pit bull got off leash, jumped on me, jumped on another lady, was scaring people. And the white lady who owned the dog was like, uh, didn't apologize or check in with it, see if anybody's okay. She was like, oh, it just reacted that way because it saw that guy as a threat. Um, and and what? And I like lost my shit, and and immediately like my dad voice came out, and I was like, what is wrong with you? Who raised you? The appropriate response <laughs> in this situation is to say, I'm sorry. Are you okay? Uh, you know, so like, but like, you said it kind of like that. Oh yeah, like, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know how you, you like you know that thing where people will fuck. like something will happen to people somebody in a situation and they'll be like what I would have said was right. and then they'll tell you that story I am very much the person who will say the thing and make it weird in public just cuz I want the I want to get the good story out of it Yeah um, oh no I've been, I've been there when you've done that but that's so fucked up I'm yeah. sorry I would have lost my shit Right so it's like I feel like I was justified but also like I a little bit scared myself by how mad I got then uh, not 24 hours later, I was taking my kids to get flu shots. We were at Kaiser uh, Hospital. The line was down the street, out the front door, and there was a guy standing at the entrance with a speaker blasting anti-vaccine propaganda, just at people waiting in line for medical treatment. Um, and Like out of a bullhorn? I thought you were going to say music, but but no. It no, was... no, no. No, it was like a Bluetooth speaker that was connected to his phone. Oh, God. And so I took just it. Just like Dan Bongino going yeah. like, if so, masks worked, you know. Right. So like, you know, so I took his picture and then he like came at me and, you know, jumped in my face and was, you know, swearing at me and stuff. And I realized, and I am so not this person that like I was ready to fight. Uh, and maybe because I've been working out too much and I'm a little bit hopped up <laughs> on feeling my triceps rip, ripple on the daily, but, uh, like oh, it, wow. uh -huh. it, it took me like a solid 45 minutes for my fist to unclench. And I was like, okay, so, you know, it, like, what does it mean about me that I may be about to get in my first fisticuffs at, you know, as an adult at, you know, at this, at 46. And then again, like I was, I was right. He was misbehaving and the people, the you know, Kaiser wasn't doing anything about it, but also like 
I went into a blind rage. And so I was like, partly, I just feel like everything is broken. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the yeah. system is unraveling. Like I have this pent up anxiety, just like everybody else. And for me, it's coming out because I'm, it's America and I'm not allowed to ever see a therapist. Um, it's coming out in me just like, you know, channeling all of my pent up rage and frustration into, you know, strangers in public who are legitimately misbehaving and deserve it, but like may not, uh, you know. No, that's, that's a lib in you though. Here's, here's my thing. I, I feel like Karen's and Kevin's and crazy racists and anti-vaxxers have been taking up so much of the public space lately that your reactions were completely justified. And it's like, yeah, man, we all have enjoyed watching some racists get their ass beat. I'm sorry. It's true. So I would say keep getting swole, Daddy Nato, Mm -hmm. and, you know, take him down next time. And no, I don't advocate violence, and I would love to get a sponsor one day on this show, but if NATO got to cut a bitch, so be it. Can you imagine the story of like, oh yeah, I, I fought a guy in front of my children in the lobby of Kaiser Permanente. <laughs> like, <laughs> not, it would not be the first time that someone fought a guy in front of the Kaiser Permanente in front of their kids. Just saying. Yeah, right. Uh, I want to fight every time I'm on hold with Kaiser Permanente, honestly. Uh, that's a great Great uh, unraveling of the social fabric. Nato Green bringing it to you from the streets live. Um, we got to move on. So much happened this week. We're going to talk about two of my favorite stories. Uh, but briefly, and I didn't have a lot of time to write this, so forgive all the bad jokes, but this was the week. Steve Bannon was held in contempt of court for defying a subpoena about the January 6th attack, which he apparently referred to as trying to kill the Biden administration in the cradle. Something his mom really should have considered. There were more revelations that Facebook missed weeks of warning signs about the January 6th attack. Guess it was too busy selling tactical gear and like flex cuffs in the right-hand column. Israel classified six human rights organizations as terrorist groups, but please tell me more about the only democracy in the Middle East. And finally, Paris Hilton spoke on the Hill this week about the abuse she endured in her time at a facility for troubled teens, also known as the E-Network. For everything else, this is The Week Where. Okay, so this was The Week Where Americans' so-called greatest alpha male launched a very beta website that was to use their terminology, immediately cucked by trolls. That's right. Donald Trump's new media venture called Trump Media and Technology Group launched an early version of the site Truth Social, uh, which is supposedly uh, a safe space for people to lie publicly. Um, what is Truth Social? How does it work? Well, it's basically like a Twitter, but for the far right. So let me explain. The site looks almost entirely like a Twitter clone. A user can post truths, which are like tweets, or retruths, which are retweets, which means if you untweet something, you would untruth it. Um, there's also a news feed called the Truth Feed, a notification system so users can know who interacts with their truths, the social network's app store profile states. Um, all right, well, how does Trump Media and Technology Group, or TMTJ. How do they see themselves? Um, this is part of their deck. You know, you know that word deck. It's like, you know, new PowerPoint for tech assholes. Um, 
They call themselves a massive market opportunity, building a non-cancelable global community. Also known as the easiest FBI honey trap for catching January 6th insurrectionists. Like, it's a little unfair. It's like super obvious. Okay, here's the here's what else they say. This is oh, another geez. slide. This is a slide it's, that it's says like the short bus of parlor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Galvanizing a conservative media universe. And here you have TMTJ in the middle, which is like the moon or the earth, and then a bunch of meteors heading right to it. Except it also kind of looked like like sperm swimming to an egg. So you've got Newsmax and Rumble and Fox and OAN just sort of ready to inseminate. Just on, on this slide, like my, you know, being a nerdy man of my age, when I see TMTJ, my brain scans it as TMNT, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I need to pause a minute and be like, does this have to do with radioactive turtles raised in the sewer who are also ninjas fighting crime? Um, they, I I love that, and also they they even have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles plus. Uh, oh boy! Because everyone's got a plus. And guys, if you didn't know what this is, like, in case you're wondering, I don't know if you've heard of streaming platforms. They're this whole thing. I don't know if you've heard of Netflix um, or uh, Disney Plus, but uh, or, or as my or children Hulu. call it. Hobo Max. <laughs> <laughs> um, TMTJ Plus is like an on-demand streaming service that will provide news, Big Ten entertainment, exciting documentaries, sports programming, and more. Yeah, please, please. I'd like to see what sports deal. And then you've got, there's a picture of Trump handing up, handing out a giant trophy to a sumo wrestler. So... I think maybe sumo is the answer to what kind of sports um, they're trying to make. They're trying to let you know that they're going to be bigger than Netflix, Disney plus and Hulu. So how did the rollout work? Uh, well, there were immediate technical and security problems. People immediately snatched up VIP handles like quote, Donald Trump and Mike Pence. The person who grabbed Donald J. Trump swiftly pinned a photo of a pig defecating by the way, defecating, onto its own testicles on their profile. That site has been pulled offline, but at least other test versions have been circulating as well, suggesting striking technical vulnerabilities. Let me just say that photo of the pig defecating onto its testicles, that's good content right there. Like, like say what you will, but that's good shit. I, uh, I don't know how it's going to work for them because like they're going to need to recruit some number of like women and Jews to be on truth <laughs> just to, so that they can give them death threats. Otherwise, like what are they even going to be able to do? Yeah, exactly. They have no reason to, it's, it's very like, yes, waiting for Godot, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern sort of, it's very existential. It is like if a right winger owns but no one is around to hear it. Does did they really own anybody? Kind of thing. Sure. It's, my it's favorite thing. My favorite thing about the announcement is Trump said in a statement: "We live in the in a world where the Taliban has a huge presence on Twitter, yet your favorite American president has been silenced." And look, I spent a fair amount of time on Twitter. Um, you know, you know how we all follow the Taliban. How like <laughs> my all of our favorite Twitter feeds are like you know 
Taliban yeah, kebabs, no. like Taliban mm-hmm. selfies. You know, a lot, just a lot of Taliban guys like doing this so that their their chin looks right, so you don't see their double yeah. chin in their selfie. Taliban in just like like hot leggings and stuff uh-huh. that like make their booty look good. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, it's just like a lot of Taliban reels, like you know, planking and whatever. Oh my god, I love the Taliban plank feed. Yeah. That they they really hold it for a long time. It's crazy because like that. <laughs> At once, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess the Taliban is still on Twitter. But also, what does that say about your presidency? The Taliban is following Twitter guidelines, and your ass has to start a whole new network. Um, obviously, this whole entire thing is going to fail. I don't even know who's funding it. Um, it is It is really just shiny 4chan. It is 4chan plus. Uh, well, this is like I mean, the NAB. An- Francesca, yeah. the answer to your question is in your question, which is, the Taliban, like, you know, Trump isn't on Twitter because he tried to overthrow the U.S. government. If he was on Twitter advocating, like, trying to overthrow other governments, he would still be on Twitter. You know what I mean? If Trump was on Twitter being like, I plan to invade Uruguay, Twitter wouldn't care. He'd still be on Twitter. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, we've, we've, we still keep, uh, who's his name? God, who's the, who's the golpista from Venezuela? Who declared himself the president? I erased his name from Isn't my mind. Isn't it Uribe? No, 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 no. From Venezuela. Oh, the, Guaido. Uh, Guaido. 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 Yeah. Guaido. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, no, it is. But it's like they, you know, I, I realize, this is the last thing I'll say on this. You're never going to get rid of hate speech. And, and in some ways, I am for democratization of the internet and breaking up big tech. So I'm like, good. Have your own awful platforms. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, I don't think it is good to, as is the case with 4chan and 8chan and whatever, like, fucking live stream, you know, mass murder. That's awful, right? And therefore, people should be held liable for the things, some things that are on their platform. Anyway, there's a lot of discussion on this. In fact, they know that they could be held responsible for the things that people post on, you know, the whatever the hell it is, uh, Truth Social so there, remember how Trump was like, Section 230, we need to abolish it. We need to get rid of it. Section 230 prevents platforms from being sued for the content that is on, uh, that, that people publish on them. So they're saying uh, the company is, quote, not responsible for any third-party content posted on, available through, and installed from the site, including its content accuracy, offensiveness, opinions, or reliability. And it has the right to censor you. So the site portrays itself as a refuge for free speech uncensored by big tech, but it will ban any content that would disparage, tarnish, or otherwise harm uh, us and or the site. So basically, you can't at Jack on Truth Social. You can't, mm-mm, no say, no mean stuff. Hurt the fifis. Um, also, the funniest r- rule, and I don't know if this is true, but we'll see when it launches for realsies. Apparently, the site's terms of service list that some rules would hamstring Trump himself. The site will ban excessive use of capital letters, which is a hallmark of Trump's online screeds. And let me say, like, I might join it just for that because, like, I don't I really hate all caps. Like. Why are you yelling? Why? And can Trump. Trump doesn't know how to capitalize. The only reason he all caps is because he's unclear what a 
proper noun is compared to a non-proper noun. He's completely clueless. You know how he like everything is like the capital nation, the capital sidewalk, the my capital home. Like he doesn't actually know how lowercase and capital letters work. Anyway, we got to move on, my friends. Uh, we got to, this is, this is, I think, one of the juiciest and most interesting stories of the week. Um, this was the week where Alec Baldwin went from impersonating Donald Trump to impersonating Dick Cheney. Thank you, NATO, for that, uh, that juicy little joke. Uh, so on the set of filming The Western Rust, an assistant director handed uh, 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 Alec Baldwin, I was like, James Baldwin, no. Alec Baldwin, a prop gun that unbeknownst to him was in I'm, fact- I'm super in favor of armed James Baldwin, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Side note, super in favor of that. Give him all the loaded guns. Okay, so he was handed this prop gun that was loaded with live rounds. I don't think you can call it a prop gun at that point. There were live rounds. The gun misfired and killed cinematographer Halna Hutchins and injured one other. The director. Uh, so, the director of the, the film. The director of the film, exactly. So this is from the LA Times. Um, this There's more information coming out because when it happened, I was like, obviously we all need to wait for to understand what the hell went down. Um, so the incident, Baldwin removed the gun from its holster with, once without incident, but the second time he did so, ammunition flew toward the trio around the monitor. The projectile whizzed by the camera operator, but penetrated Hutchins near her shoulder and then continued through to Souza, the director. Hutchins immediately fell to the ground as crew members applied pressure to her wound in an attempt to stop the bleeding. But it seems like the crew knew that this might actually happen and were warning their superiors about it. So three crew members who were president at the Bonanza Creek Ranch set on Saturday said they were particularly concerned about two accidental prop, prop gun discharges. Baldwin's stunt double accidentally fired two rounds Saturday after being told that the gun was, quote, cold. Lingo for a weapon that doesn't have any ammunition, including blanks. Two crew members who witnessed the episode told the L.A. Times. Um. In fact, it, they were one colleague was so alarmed by the prop gun misfires that he sent a text message to the unit production manager saying, quote, we've had three accidental discharges. This is super unsafe, according to the, a copy of the message reviewed by the Times. So people knew about the gun. The new thing that just broke today was that the production manager had a complaint out against him for precisely cutting corners when it came to safety. Uh, and the other people who were unhappy with the cutting corners on that movie se movie set were unionized crew members who that day walked off the job. So earlier, six hours before this shooting, um, members of IATSE who were working on that set walked off the job. And guess what? They were replaced by non-union members. So I, this is from I, I want to actually just mention the, some of the reasons they were upset um, was that they were promised that they were going to be housed near to the actual set. But after the filming began, they were instead told they were required to make a 50-mile drive from Albuquerque each day rather than stay overnight in Santa Fe. That rankled crew members who worried they might have an accident after spending 12 to 13 hours on set. Remind you, a lot of these workers were driving themselves home. But So they walked off the set and... Um, one of the producers ordered the union members to leave immediately and threatened to call security to remove them if they didn't leave voluntarily. So that's why they left. Quote, corners are being cut and they brought in non-union people so they could continue shooting. And or, continue shooting they did. A little too much shooting happened on set yep. while they were shooting. Um, 
so when this broke, I don't know, NATO, what you thought. My two initial reactions were, one, there's got to be a labor dispute somewhere in here. This has got to do with workers' rights. And two, can we still make fun of Hilaria Baldwin? How do you say, uh, the what is the word, uh, cucumber? Uh, how do you say, in prop English, gun? Yeah. Um, live ammunition? In English, como se dice, uh, liability? Um. <laughs> como se dice, pay your goddamn workers? Uh, yeah, this isn't, I mean, obviously I feel terrible for Alec Baldwin. I really don't want to make fun of him, you know, beyond what we just did, but like, it sucks. But yeah. I mean, it also, he's a producer on the show, so he's not, not responsible for the cost cutting of the show. My, my big takeaway was this is, this happened within the week following. And I guess we're going to talk about this with, with our guests in a minute, but this is the week following the IATSE strike being called off partly right. over some of these very same issues. So it's like, man, IATSE should have, should have struck. The other thing that jumps out is that because they had a non-union crew and because they were cutting corners, they had a 24 year old armorer. And, you know, I'm not sure I would let a 24 year old make me dinner, let alone like prepare heavy weaponry. Like, you know what I mean? Armorer. Armorer. No, I mean, I think it's it, like, I don't understand why there was live ammunition in that gun. And and everyone's trying to be like, well, what happened? No, no, no. Negligence happened. It happens all the time in whatever job anyone has when people are overworked, underpaid, and complaints that are fire, filed are not followed through with. It happens all the time. And so... You know, so I mean, I guess I just feel like it really, it doesn't come down to, well, you know, they really need to get gun control in liberal Hollywood, which they do. We can't even get gun control in fucking Hollywood, my God. But um, it's more than that, right? It's, it's, a, it's a universal labor issue. Um, people being put in harm's way. You think about pilots who are flying on, you know, less than eight hours of sleep. Like that, those kinds of issues that put us, us all in danger. Um, and again, this is all because it's supposedly prestigious to work on a Western with Alec Baldwin in the middle of Santa Fe. I don't think so. Like, I've actually pay people more, take some, take some more precautions. I think I've actually been to that set. I know I've, I, uh, I've been there I, because my, my in-laws are in Santa Fe. So I spent or in New Mexico. I spent a fair amount of time there. I think I've been there. There's only and- one set. There, there's like a couple of these like old Western sets between Santa Fe and Albuquerque, like out in the desert and you could like people go film there and then you can like rent it out for cocktail parties and be real and like oh, be super corny. Really yeah. Uh, yeah. And they, they are, were, you, were they shooty? No, you would like, no, but it's, that's, you just like dress up in the goofy outfit and then you stand around, you know, which is arguably what Baldwin was doing. Arguably and- what Baldwin was doing. No one should have gotten hurt. Um, well, uh, like shout out to all the like crew crew members, people who've been. God, I know I have friends who actually have horror stories um, for working on set. Uh, actually, a friend of mine had a, a terrible heat stroke that left him uh, partially paralyzed because he was out in a desert like situation shooting. I think it was a music video. Um, and he fucking passed out. He had a, he had a stroke and he was in a coma for like a month. So anyway, all like that is, this happens all the time. It is not glitz and glamor. It is exploitation. 
Let's move on. We got to bring in a man who knows a lot about exploitation. Uh, my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk all about um, the situation around the country with uh, workers striking, rising up for their rights. Also, the post-pandemic economy. What should we know? What, 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 who should we believe? Um, and how is this administration doing enough or not? This is The Sitch. And joining us for The Sitch, he published Left Business Observer, a newsletter on economics and politics from 1986 to 2013. He hosts Behind the News, a weekly radio show that you can get on all podcast apps. He His book, Wall Street, is available free to download on his website. And his other books include State of the USA Atlas, After the Economy, and My Turn, in addition to a forthcoming book all about the ruling class. Please welcome Mr. Doug Henwood. Hello. Thanks for having me. You know, funnily, I saw Alec Baldwin at a labor conference at Yale 1999, back when the AFL-CIO wow. was trying to make friends with intellectuals and academics and artists. And uh, it didn't last very long, but it was a pretty good conference. And Alec Baldwin sounded all the righteous notes about labor. He seemed like he was uh, had his heart in the right place. So be interesting to yeah. see what he this is. This is like. This is Kim Kim Basinger era, era Alec Baldwin before Hilaria Baldwin spoiled him. <laughs> Uh, I I am for for our listeners. I I should say I I am a regular listener of of the behind the news podcast. I think it's I think the interviews are great. Thank you. I I hardly recommend that podcast to people. Thank you. Yeah. 100 percent. And I guess, Doug, I wanted to ask you about so many things. Um, So we kind of are traversing uh, a lot of different areas. But but let's just start with, you know, we talked about Hollywood workers, Ayatsi. They may yet still vote on a strike. Who knows? Um, uh, but we, you, we've seen workers from Nabisco to John Deere um, walking off the job. Kellogg. And Kellogg, exactly. Pretty much all your favorite snack foods are canceled, which is great because they're terrible for you anyway. Um, and that's okay. That's solidarity. But what? why are we seeing this striketober? What's happening around the country? Is And could this be the beginning of a resurgent Movement. Well, I certainly hope October, that- which which immediately follows Antifagist. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Well, well, what's what's the cute name for September then? Uh, Barricade Ember, <laughs> and then and then, and then soon, soon but the year ends with December. Break the trains of uh, chains of oppression. Okay, I, yes. I almost said it right. Sep- Septembers of the ruling class. Yeah. All right. Okay. One can only hope. Um, well, you know, it's really hard to say. I mean, we saw what seemed to be a strike wave last year. It didn't turn out to be much. We look at statistics. You know, I would dearly love this to be the beginning of a you know period of labor militancy and an end to 40 years of um, torpor on the part of uh, organized labor and maybe, you know, even unorganized labor. But We'll see. Who knows? It's a very, very strange period in the economy. Nothing makes any sense at this point. Uh, we still have a lot of people um, unemployed compared to what were before the pandemic hit. Yet you know, um, wages are rising. Employers complain they can't hire people. Uh, there's shortages mm-hmm. everywhere, particularly in some industries. Uh, you know, the whole supply chain. We're always now hearing about the supply chain being broken. Everything is busted. At the same time, the amount of stimulus coming out of the government, fiscal stimulus, enormous. Uh, the amount of free money coming out of the Federal Reserve, which has gone mostly into the financial markets, has been enormous. So you've got you know, enormous fiscal and monetary stimulus. At the same time, there's still 
I don't know, we're still like five or six million jobs short of where we would be to get back to the pre-pandemic level. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're not, it's not clear what's up, whether employers are not hiring, whether workers are staying off the job. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going all at once and none of it makes any sense. None of the old the metrics fact, make any sense. Does the fact that we let 750,000 people die uh, through mismanagement mm-hmm. of the pandemic have anything to do with the possibility of a national labor shortage? Uh, <laughs> Probably not, but um, you know that is a very grim statistic and uh, can can make me cry if I think about it too much. But no, I don't really think it's you know that's not a mega economic significance, but it is really just a grotesque human tragedy. Uh, well, I mean, and and I think that in early on when you know you had Larry Kudlow, you know, praising how well the stock market was doing in early days of the pandemic, it's while, even doing better now. <laughs> it's, it's exactly great, the tens know? of thousands. Yeah, and so we we have next to a record high uh, in the Dow, you know. Absolutely, it's a, it's a small price, and so it's you know? that crass, right? And it's that crass reality of capitalism that actually we are so expendable to this machine and and to the economy, the, the a very narrow minded understanding of what the economy is. But but when you talk about the the stimulus, you know, I I wanted to ask you, you know, if you were to grade the United States. You know, how have we done when it comes to actually supporting people through this time? I know unemployment benefits recently ran out. Um, We know that PPP loans went to like, I mean, goddamn Jared Kushner got some like, but, but all in all, I mean, especially folks in like the comedy industry who are like, oh yeah, no, I would have done people who were like, oh, my other job was waiting tables, which didn't exist for six months. You know, they've been, it's been meant life and death you know, poverty, no poverty, food on the table, no food on the table to have these stimulus checks and, and this unemployment. Um, so what, yeah, I guess how, how would you grade us? And then where, what can we, do we still need it? Well, of course it was well short of perfection, but my God, it was really surprisingly um, civilized, surprisingly generous. Uh, uh, The amount of aid supplied by the government uh, in various ways, uh, the stimulus checks, the expanded unemployment benefits, uh, aid to state and local governments, all these things have been extremely important and very, uh, for example, we, in in the, uh, in the first part of the pandemic last year, between February and April, something like 22 million jobs disappeared. Yet, personal income rose because the level of uh, support was so generous that it more than offset the loss of wage income. And that you know, continued. There's a second and third round of stimulus. Uh, and um, it enabled people to um, set aside an enor- enormous amount of money. Like not everyone, of course. A lot of people you know, are really in terrible shape of, and barely getting by. But millions of people uh, were able to put away money uh, on a scale that uh, just never happened before. The savings rate, or savings rate hit 20 25% for a little while last year. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that's been enabled, enabled people to remain picky about what kinds of jobs they're going to take. Um, you know, the employers are complaining it's really hard to hire people. A lot of controversy or that's true or not, who knows. But it does have, seem have you, have, you heard, have you heard about the great resignation? Well, yeah, that's what I'm going to talk about next. But, you know, I think uh, the, the, the fact that people do have some money in the bank, uh, even the bottom half of the income distribution, according to Federal Reserve statistics, has about $4,000 more in their bank accounts than they did before the pandemic hit. Not a lot of money, wow. but when, uh, you know, these are people who normally don't have much in the bank at all. Uh, people in the middle have ten fifteen thousand dollars more than they used to and so if you have that kind of cushion and a partner or a spouse who's working as well you can say you know i'm not gonna take your fucking shitty job uh and there's there seems to be some of that going around and also the quit rate uh is the highest it's ever been 
Uh, the officials' numbers go back to about 2000, but you know you can sort of simulate them the previous years. Uh, we haven't seen people quitting their jobs in these kinds of numbers in 40 or 50 years, probably. Uh, and you know, you remember? Well, you don't remember. I do. Um, but back in the 70s, there's that great hit: uh, "Take this job and shove it." Uh, that uh, seems now like a bit of ancient history, but it's coming back. There are a lot of people. Uh, taking that attitude again. And it's just remarkable to watch. Um, and it, it, it shows you that any kind of generosity in government support can really change the balance of class forces, which is why you know, the American ruling class doesn't want to give people a dime. They don't want to expect anything. They don't want the slightest level of support so they can tell the boss to go fuck himself. And the people, yeah. a lot of people who don't normally have go fuck yourself money have some right now. And it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. So... I, I, I love the idea that like go fuck yourself money is like a like like an four thousand dollars. It, it, it's also like an economic indicator. Like I'm used to you know like think about the the business pages and they're like these very like sober you know analysts. And the index of leading indicators rose point two percent. Right, but they're over like and you know and the bottom forty percent of the income appear income distribution appears to now have go fuck yourself money, and that is raising <laughs> a, alarm. You know, in the financial sector. Well, it can't be allowed to continue. But on the other hand, you know, this, uh, the financial sector is so rolling in cash. The Federal Reserve pumped out trillions of dollars to free money, which mostly went into the financial markets. It's created just this incredible bull market in stocks. It created a, uh incredible bull market in housing. Uh, and weirdly, the housing um, bubble this time around is mostly a, a, a thing of the upper brackets. Uh, people mm. at the low end, there's no subprime lending going on at all. It's all people right. who are pretty well off who don't necessarily leave to need to borrow a lot of mortgage money. Uh, but that's where all the action is right now. So the upper class is just rolling in money. Corporate America is rolling in money. It's not spending it on hiring people or investing in anything. It's been shoveling out money to its shareholders uh, and uh, playing, paying the lowest corporate tax rates in, in history. Uh, and, uh, you know, their, their, their pet senators like Manchin and uh, uh, Cinema are preventing any um, return, even to the pre-Trump levels of corporate taxation, which were the lowest in history until <laughs> until you know, until now. Um, so uh, these people are very lightly taxed, and uh, they're really rolling in it yet, uh, and they don't want that to stop. Can, mm. can I ask a follow up question on that topic specifically? Um, do you like? Do you think that is there a section of the ruling class that is worried about? that treating the economy like that kind of fire sale and that it will cause the kind of instability that Francesca was talking about at the top of the show, or are they all just like, you know, trying to get as much out as they can as quickly as possible? Well, a lot of are my, people worried about it causing instability. Uh, my, 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 the, my main thesis about this rotten ruling class that we contend with is they just are so drunk on money and really short term maximization of money that they can't think in the long term. They are, they're not like the ruling class in the mid 20th century, which had some discipline, uh, and uh, some some foresight about uh, creating a kind of structure that would uh, sustain their rule. It was not like they were humane and decent, but they had some level of discipline and um, uh, and responsibility and thoughts about the future. This gang is just a bunch of looters, uh, and mm. uh, that that's the dominant uh, ethic. And a lot of the ruling class we're seeing some concerns. Um, you know, the, the Federal Reserve, for all its problems, is a fairly serious institution that's not yet completely corrupt. They do seem to be worried about um, issues about long-term systemic stability. Uh, they're showing some concern about climate, which a lot of you know, bourgeois institutions are not showing much concern about. Um, so there are corners of the elites that are concerned, but you know, the bulk of them just 
want to let it rip right now. They don't give a shit, you know, about the waters rising or or, or forest burning down. Um, if there's money right. to be made. Can I ask you more about the great resignation? You know, you sort of mentioned that, you know, yeah, people have like, go fuck yourself money. Um, and I think that's been a talking point. You're almost sort of agreeing with some of the right wingers who are like, well, it's because people got, you know, a little bit of stimulus and we gave them, you know, a small, small check that they're able to refuse work. And that is a bad thing. Can you implode that <laughs> myth that it is a bad thing to be able to walk away from work? Is it is it OK that there are menial jobs that are not getting filled right now? Well, first of the unemployment insurance uh, uh, benefit issue, there's no evidence at all that that actually uh, stopped people from getting jobs. And if you look at the states that cut unemployment benefits early compared to those that didn't, they actually lagged in employment creation. Um, a lot of them are really high COVID states, too, by coincidence. But, you know, it's the more vaccinated states are actually creating more jobs now than less vaccinated ones. But, you know, the unemployment insurance, um, that, that had almost little, very little effect on whether people are willing to take okay. jobs. But on the other hand, you know, the right is correct that if you give people money, um, it's often preferable to having a crappy job. Now, I think a lot of people really do want to work. They want to have a decent job. They want to be, feel like they're useful if they're doing something that's connections to society, uh, that's producing something. A lot, an awful lot of people feel that way. But, you know, if you're going to have to risk your life for a minimum wage with no benefits, you know, fuck that. Uh, why should I do that? Yeah. Um, so they, they are correct that keeping, as the Brits say, people on their back foot um, is the best uh, relation, uh, class relation that you could have. Alan Greenspan back in the 90s used to testify before Congress and say it quite openly. That's when the unemployment rate was about 4%. And he'd basically say, well, people are acting like the unemployment rate is a 6 or 7%, and that's great. They're scared, and they're not getting an attitude. And, you know, if you read the minutes of the Federal Reserve's policy-setting uh, um, meetings, they are very aware of what's going on in the state of labor and the consciousness of the working class. Uh, and they mm -hmm. like people to be a little afraid. They don't want to be so afraid they're going to burn things down, but they want to be a little afraid and very grateful to have whatever job they can, can get. And you know, I think, first of all, there's the, um, you know, certainly we've been talking about this, the income supports uh, from government stimulus programs and such have given people some fuck you money. But the other thing is, I think this brush with mass death has made people say, yes. what is really important? Do I really need to go do some stupid job um, rather than like, enjoy my life and hang out with my kids uh, or, you know, see yes. my friends. I think people, this caused people to really, really evaluate what's important. I was amazed to see Farad Manju, a New York Times columnist uh, the other day, quoting Kathy Weeks, the scholar um, who who's written books against work. She's an anti-work, uh, um, comes out of anti-work Marxism, basically. Uh, okay. And Manju quoted her in this column in which he said uh, he really admired the way people were trying to um, – uh, rest control their lives back from the like the maw of capitalist production or something like that. This is a New York Times columnist writing like that, um, and he's often wow. quite good. I'm, you know, he's he's. He, but, but this was really took me by surprise that that kind yeah. of consciousness is really penetrating elite levels. Uh, like, you know, what is the point of running a hedge fund? I mean, you can make lots and lots of money, but you're miserable, alienated, and often hurting people in your work. And I think people are stepping back and saying, what is this all about? And that's certainly the last thing the capitalist class wants to see people doing. But, you know, from my point of view, uh, it's great development. 
One of the yes. things that's so exciting for me about Striketober is like, you know, the leader of the flight attendant, Sarah Nelson, has said that, you know, that talked about the idea that solidarity is contagious. That so, you know, that it doesn't like people see workers walking out and then, the, you know, the, I mean, they get ideas. So like in my union, you know, we probably have four strikes in the pipeline, you know, in the next month or two that we're in the process well, of organizing. I work for the Service Employees International Union, local 10 to 1. We're mostly local government workers in all, across Northern California. Yeah. Um, so mostly public sector and publicly funded nonprofits. Um, and so like school districts, you know, county court workers, municipal court workers, uh, you know, health clinics, private, you know, nonprofit colleges, that kind of stuff. And, and people, you know, people have like felt like they sacrificed. They were asked to, you know, show up and be essential workers on the front lines yes. of the pandemic. And, and there's just like, you know, it's not even necessarily about a specific, clearly defined demand. It's just like the members that I talk to have just have this level of fury about what they've been asked to put up with for the last year and a half. And, you know, uh, and, and, and they, and they want, you know, they won't, they're like go, going back to the, 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 the slow grind of misery and austerity politics in the public sector from before the pandemic doesn't seem like an acceptable solution. Well, you know, elites have been pissing on the working class, uh, both, you know, in, in purely material terms, but even, you know, in, uh, in terms of, in discursive terms as well, for like 40 some years. I and mean, they've always pissed on the working class, but uh, the stream has been intensified uh, over the last 40 years. And it, it does seem like something is- Talk about a leading indicator. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, 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 you know, fuck you, money, and don't piss on me. Um, is uh, it, 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 it no? I think that all makes sense. Point. Yeah, there's there was like a psychic break, I think, and I also think that we've conceived as we should of the economy a little differently, right? And understanding that we shouldn't just live to work and the economy shouldn't take precedent over literally everything, especially when your life is on the line. Yeah, the, the uh, as economy much is supposed as, to provide us with the goods and services we need to live. You know, food, yeah. rent, uh, you know, shelter rather, not rent, <laughs> food, shelter, uh, and not rent <laughs> for the for the landlord. And I think people are just saying, you know, the essentials of life are so much more important than serving um, our capitalist masters. And the problem is, you know, there's there's this American um, ideology of self-reliance. Uh, any notions of solidarity have been really undermined over the last 40 years or so. All the institutions of working class solidarity have been gradually destroyed. Uh, and so it's really hard to rebuild all that stuff from scratch. And there's a certain spontaneous consciousness developing among people that, you know, let's stick together and, and, and fight the boss. That'd be, But it's really hard to make that shift uh, out of this this profound disorganization and this internalized ideology that it's all up to you, um, that any notion yeah. of politics or solidarity as a way to improve your life has just been largely discredited. And uh, it'd be great to see that coming back into to fashion, but it's it's not easy to uh, to revive something that seems so dead. Also, everyone, I think, especially the right sort of trains its uh, its viewers, its followers to sort of imagine that everyone's an economist and not only an economist, but like a millionaire and an economist. So it's like, well, the economy must have growth and it must be this and it must be that. And it's like, none of you guys know what you're talking about and you're all poor. Like, like <laughs> you, so, so, so I, I do want to ask you, you know, how, you know, when you think about wealth, it seems like in this last year and a half, like, Yes, it is concentrated very much so at the top. I mean, I actually don't know if inequality has gotten worse or not, but it seems like the government programs, the stimulus money is the only thing that's prevented inequality from getting just completely 
out of control. I have the stat handy. The combined wealth of billionaires went up 55% during the pandemic. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. that the, the, while the, the very bottom and middle of the distribution have been doing somewhat better because of you know, all the stimulus stuff, um, the people at the very top have been doing really, really, really much better. Um, because the, the financial yeah. markets basically um, have just been getting richer and richer. And then <laughs> of all these, um, you know, GameStop, things like that, where um, people are trying to get involved in that racket, but uh, it's not going to work for them. It's working for the elites very well, though. So I think it's important to understand, like when we talk about growth and when you hear GDP and when you hear, you know, like, okay, all this wealth being created to understand that that does not represent you, your community, your family, your well-being at all. It is it is growth for the sake of a very, very select few that never trickles down. So, I mean, I think that there's this, like, we are constantly, our economy is constantly set up against these barometers like GDP, like the stock market, like unemployment, which is, I know, even a, just a fraction of the whole picture in and of itself, too, even though it's supposed to be representative of working people, it's only people who are actively searching for jobs. And we know especially women have in droves left the workforce under the pandemic and following it. Yeah, well, women you know, have all these care responsibilities. Uh, men did a bit more, it seems, uh, over the last uh, year, year and a half, but uh, nowhere near as much as uh, women have been doing, and as they always do, but they have to do more and more of it. Uh, you know, when GDP grows, it doesn't really necessarily mean much of anything. It all depends upon how it's distributed. If it goes into wages and, and public spending and, you know, uh, and, uh, humane pursuits, okay, good. But, you know, um, if, uh, if, if a, a building burns down because of climate change and then gets rebuilt, and that adds to GDP, that's not necessarily very good. Um, so, uh, well, a shrinking GDP is good for almost no one. A rising GDP mm. isn't necessarily going to be good for the masses. Mm. Um, I, so I wanted to sort of follow on that. Like one of when we so much of how what, part of why I was excited to, to have you on is like so much of how we think about the economy is sort of like it just defaults to this very sort of free market neoliberal perspective. And I feel like the, you know, I mean, in, including me, like a lot of people on the left sort of don't have the tools to think about the economy in a different way. And like in California, we, you know, the our, the public sector budget is pretty good, partly because of inequality. Like we ta we have enough rich people that we can tax the rich people. And so that's sort of when we talk about stimulating the economy, a lot of it is like, let's let rich people make some more money and then we can tax some of the crumbs and redistribute that into social programs. And do you like, is that? Is that accurate? Do you have a sense of like what a vision of economic growth or economic development would look like that wasn't based on letting rich people get richer and then trying to, you know, transfer some of that through taxes? Yeah, we're similar in New York City. Um, you know, we uh, are like many cities. We have a lot of poor people, but we also have a lot of rich people. And we're very concerned that they, they went away and may not come back. And so we have to, like, make sure we're going to put out the welcome mat to get the rich people back from the Hudson Valley and the Hamptons, right. Right. Uh, just so they can, you know, fund our basic services. Uh, but, you know, if you look back, it was capitalist America, but back in the 50s and 60s, rich people paid more taxes. The distribution of income and wealth was just nowhere near as lopsized as it is. Uh, and, you know, that was certainly a much more generally more humane way to run things. Uh, but, you know, as for what a you know better economy would look like, we need really, I think, and it's hard to imagine how we can get here from there, get there from here, uh, or what the institutional arrangements would look like to make this happen. But, you know, this is what I want to think about is um, more about quality and less about quantity. 
um, and mm. enjoying our lives and having um, good nutritious food and safe and affordable housing uh, and uh, health care that is uh, not uh, a site of profit and uh, exploitation and misery, but, you know, it actually takes care of people. Um, you know, that, that, those are the principles we want to organize on. It's really, really hard to get there because everything that we do is organized around the principle of profit maximization. Uh, mm. Any human need that is satisfied is just a, a side effect of, of, of being able to make some capitalist richer. Uh, and um, it, it would take an awful lot of uh, revolutionary transformation to change that. Um, but it's encouraging that people seem to be more open to thinking about these things than they did uh, five years ago. Uh, and, uh, and one of the reasons that elites are very concerned about you know, the, the Biden spending plans, regardless of the content in themselves, is that they move in a different direction. They change the nature of what we talk about and they raise expectations among people. You know, people start getting, well, we've, for the last two or three months, we've been getting a $250 check in the mail because of a, we have a kid. And, and if, mm-hmm. if they start sending out child allowances, if they start sending us uh, more generous unemployment benefits, if we start getting uh, stimulus payments when times get tough, um, people say, hey, this is pretty good. Can we do more of this? And uh, elites realize that you give an inch, you know, people are going to want to take a yard and uh, that must be stopped. Yeah. The- the, the rich have not been defeated till they're running for their lives. Agree, disagree, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great principle. Yes. <laughs> I think that I, for sure. No, and, 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 and that's why Republicans are super scared. And obviously corporate Democrats and, and others, not just cinema and mansion are scared of what this build back better act could have. Right. Well, it's I think like cinema and mansion, you know, like the, the uh, taking the hit publicly for a lot of senators who um, yes don't want to step forward and, take the heat. I mean, cinema seems to enjoy it uh, and, and mansion in both in different ways, but they seem to like this, 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 this fuck things up uh, position that they're in. Um, I mean, it's just crazy to me though. Like, position. yes. And it's, and you know, you talked about the child tax credit that your current, re- you both are receiving right now. It is insane to me that Democrats, that, that Biden isn't saying every single day that he can speak because some days are slower than others that he's the one who's giving you this money that he is like, and I don't even know is, is I don't think his name is on the check. I remember how Trump's name was on the first stimulus check, but it's like Biden needs to tout that out every single time. And, you know, I think there's this whole like, Oh, Democrats are screwed in 2022. I would agree with that, but only if they, they, stop hiding the wins that they have delivered on it only if they stop hiding all the things that they've actually delivered and done for the American people. Um, My Biden bucks came with aviators in the, in the envelope. So <laughs> I knew, I knew ah. who it was. Wow. Louis DeJoy yeah. took mine away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Question for you, Doug. I know we have to move on to our final segment, but there is an idea that like we kind of can't do anything unless we rein in the 1%, like that we really need their tax money to fund our social programs. Do you agree with that? Do you do you disagree? Uh, it feels like we're stuck. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would I think they need to be eliminated as a political force. Um, and I'm not sure that taxing uh, rich people is a an ongoing source of money. Uh, if if you start taxing, that money is going to disappear. So we didn't have billionaires in the United States, really, to speak of, uh, until the Reagan tax cuts. And then it became possible to accumulate huge fortunes because they were so lightly taxed. So if you go back and look, when the Forbes magazine, when Forbes magazine first did its 400 list of, of the richest people in the country, 
there were no billionaires or maybe one or two billionaires on that. It was just a few, a few hundred million dollars. And now you just, mm-hmm. you, 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 the, the, the poorest person on the Forbes 400 list has several billion dollars to his or her name. So um, that, you know, it'd be great to tax that 1%. But I think the point of taxing them would be to, to tax them out of existence. Uh, I don't think we're, they're an ongoing source of revenue, but um, it's a form of expropriation, which I think would be a great thing. Love it. All right. Well, we have to leave this discussion there, but everyone needs to uh, follow Doug Henwood, read his books. Uh, Wall Street is free for download on his website. Everybody needs to, uh, you know, listen to his podcast, obviously. Um, Thank you so much for breaking that down for us, Doug. And thank you so much. Uh, Be very well. Take good care. You too. Thanks. Thanks a lot. We got a good final segment coming up. It's a it's a version of sex elect overthrow. Uh, so I'm excited to see what you guys all think of the comments. But before we do, I'm gonna read a couple uh, comments. I'm gonna read a couple comments. There we go. I can speak. Um, on on Trump Trump's new social media platform, Truth Social, uh, Tempoden 918 says, uh, "Total morons try grifting." That's TMTJ. Indeed, try grifting. They've been trying grifting. We'll see if this one works. Uh, Charmed Chaos uh, calls TMTJ a f- one-fourth Chan. I like that. One thirty-second until we keep getting smaller and smaller and doesn't exist. Uh, on Alec Baldwin, Todd Roy, what's up, Todd? Uh, says, there's no reason why a gun with the ability to shoot projectiles should be on the film set. Most guns are modified to not allow bullets. It's true. They have like some other thing that they shoot or they can just be CG'd. Just do that. Um, on the economy and Doug Henwood's interview, sinful solutions on YouTube says here in Alabama, we somehow have record high unemployment, high employment, but also every business is struggling for employees. Both, both can't be true. That's true. Someone's lying. Someone is lying in Alabama. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Uh, Tina Lulu Mac on YouTube says inequality is worse than during the Gilded Age. Yeah. I think it's the top hats. I think if the 1% had to wear top hats, then it would be fine because we could see them in a crowd and just be like, get him. You know, it's like that's there was a reason they wore them to identify them. Todd Roy again, I'm starting to think capitalism isn't perfect. Mm. Mm. Far from it. And uh, in Haxed. In Hacks on Twitch says GDP treats cutting down the forest as pure profits with no costs. Totally. I don't know what, what does this forest do? Oh, well, money. I'll print money on it. That's what we do. Think about that, yo. That's crazy to think that we print money on trees. Are you are you acting out slurping with a straw? Yes. No, dude, it's the end of my roach. Oh. Bro, that's crazy. I'm so sorry. Um... All right. Last segment, you guys. We're going to do this. This is Resurrect Mummify Drive Steak. Oh! Who would you resurrect? Who would you mummify? And who would you drive a stake through their heart? Three people who are dead but might come alive. Roger Ailes, I'm so sorry. Roger Ailes of Fox News, the the sort of Murdoch's right hand man, mm-hmm. 
Jeffrey Epstein of Jeffrey Epstein fame, um, of Jeffrey Epstein Island fame, friend of Bill Gates and literally everybody, or Weird, weirdly, the, I don't know. Have I told you this? Je- like Jeffrey Epstein is two degrees removed from my family. No, that's upsetting. It is upsetting. Yeah. Okay, we, that's that's in the bonus episode then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Become a patron to hear how NATO uh, uh, was just like a hop, skip, and a jump away yeah. from from giving Epstein a massage. I'm no kid. I am joke. Oh. All right. Or okay, Roger Ailes, Jeffrey Epstein, or the the original daddy who would never give their child a hug, real estate magnate, Mr. Fred Trump. Fred Trump, the guy who, if he had only maybe raised his child right, we could have been, this could have all been avoided. It would have been someone else. But who would you resurrect? Who would you mummify? And who would you drive a stake through their heart? I'll go first. Um, oh, shit. I don't know who I would resurrect. <laughs> okay. You resurrect Fred Trump, kind of like a sort of ghost from Christmas future, you know, where he gets to see how awful his son is and what he's done. And then he can finally, like, take his son aside and be like, you were you were just enough as you were. And I'm sorry I yelled at you the time you put a Lego in your nose at three years old. And, you know, I'm sorry I never taught you to wipe your booty pri- uh, properly or ride a bike. Because, you know, you know that dude's got skid marks. The point is, Fred Trump can come back and actually be a real father to Donald Trump. And then it'll just sort of like domino effect. John Trump Jr. will also be raised right. You know, Ivanka probably mm-hmm. would not sit on his da- her dad's lap. The whole thing. It would have been fine. So resurrect Fred. Um mummify Jeffrey Epstein because we still need to get the, to the bottom of that dude's death. So you got to mummify him, keep him intact. We need multiple coroners need to rule this shit out or we need to understand, keep him there, sort of mummify him also to scare the, the 1% and all the billionaires that went on his plane. Uh, keep him there to scare, to scare people. And then mm-hmm. I would say, I would say drive a stake right through Roger Ailes's double chin. Just get him. Bam. It's on his way to his heart. Kill that MFR. We do not need that guy's spirit back. I'm very scared of Roger Ailes. Like in death, he scares me as much as he did in life. Just especially if he like was like, come into my office, Gretchen. You know how he like preyed on a bunch of uh, a bunch of the uh, the mm-hmm. correspondence there. My God, NATO, sit farther back, buddy. <laughs> okay, I'm back. Uh, so I would, um, uh, I would, uh, drive a stake through the heart of Fred Trump because Mm -hmm. I feel like that might break the spell that the witch cast on him in Germany that made him into a Nazi racist, horrible person. Um, I would, I would mummify Roger Ailes, um, (laughs) And but not like not like Egyptian mummy where it's like all bandaged and gauze, but like 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 mummy a jar? No, no, like Guanajuato mummy. mummy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Guan- what's the Guanajuato mummy. You got to freeze him. No, in, it, this is so Mexican. But if you've been to Guanajuato, there's like there's like the soil is a certain kind of way that it mummifies 
just dead bodies in the ground. So they were like, oh, you know, our cemetery is filled with mummies. So then they just like dug them up. And so there's a museum of the mummies, just like people they dug out of the ground being like, check out our mummies. All these dead, just random ass dead people. Okay, that Mama, were, that were mummified. Guanajuato mummy, and in, and okay, or, and then I would. Where do you where do you keep him? Just uh, uh, like on a uh, just uh, like on a dais, you know. So you'd be like, eh, everybody, that's gross. <laughs> and then um, and then I would resurrect Epstein because he has fucking stories to tell. Like I want, <laughs> yes. I want, I want him to be resurrected and then fucking put under oath. I want him to get to like. <laughs> Do uh, you know what's it called? StoryCorps, where he like goes and sits in a booth and gets to tell a story, like, like <laughs> he does the moth. Yeah, I want, I, <laughs> like, can you imagine the Jeffrey Epstein This American Life? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so that I think that is the correct answer. Jeffrey Epstein definitely was too evil to die, yeah. and somehow that's actually a to thing. die with like that. Uh, that uh, that much information still in him. Yes, you're right. We need to re- resurrect that that fool. Um, that is great, you guys. This has been the Bituation Room. Thank you so much, Nato Green. Everybody, follow Mr. Nato Green on Twitter at Nato Green and on Instagram at Mr. Nato Green. Um, and also everybody, he's got two comedy albums out. You I guys do, get I do at- comedy albums out. The best way to support me is to get them on Bandcamp. And I have a live show coming up Saturday the 6th. I'm doing a show at our old stomping grounds, the Verity Club, with the great Liz Liz Winstead, uh, co-creator of The Daily Show. Um, And friend of the show. Hell yeah. Oh, my God. Nato and I used to run a show at the Verity Club. Shout out to them. That's very exciting. Guys, go out and see Nato in the flesh. Um, And be well, Nato. Take care. Good night. Don't get into any more Karen fights. I'll see what I can do. Okay. He's going to do his best. And you guys, there is more show coming up because, and I didn't tease this early enough, because this is a Halloween episode. Um, in fact, we're not going to be doing a show on the 31st because that is Halloween, and I want everyone to eat as much candy as they can and then puke it all up. Uh, so we're going to be doing a show on the second of November. That's a Tuesday. Uh, so remember we won't do a show on Sunday. We'll do a show on Tuesday. We'll post about it. So don't you worry, but that means this is our Halloween show and we got a bonus bish coming up. It's just going to be me and me alone with you. And we're talking about demons and ghosts, demons and ghosts. Oh my, who believes in them and why it turns out there's a bit of a political difference between those who believe in demons and ghosts and those who do not. There's a new poll and I want to get into all of that. And I want to understand whether you guys believe in demons and ghosts. And I'll tell you my stories. Oh yeah. I got stories. (laughs) But first, before we get the F out of here, you guys, thank you so much for becoming patrons. Thank you um, for, for your super chats and for subscribing on Twitch. This is the fart song. Yeah. Hell yeah. Okay, thank you. To Farhad R for becoming a patron at 10 bucks or more. To Sage J for upping your pledge. Thank you so much, Sage. To the big tippers, Joseph L. Thank you. Thank you for Twitch subs. Uh Tris Kelly Triple Zero. 
Funkin' for Fun, Stanley 1953, and Hacks, Bucket Butt, Willie Gus, and also the Super Chats. Thank you, Matt Gates on a whiteboard Bronco, Kimberly McNaught, Feral Jane, and Zane the Magic Puffer Dragon. Super appreciate you all. And hey, why don't I just throw in all the people that support the show. Thank you to Becca Roofer, to Max Inhoff, to Ellie Hoffman, and to Alexander Ornest. You guys are wonderful. We stream every Sunday, 5, 8 Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. And you can listen as a podcast. We will be back on November 2nd. That is a Tuesday evening. And remember, guys, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just bitch about it. Be about it. See you next time.